Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living and holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We've been looking at these two verses of Scripture for several weeks, and we're coming to the second one today. Uh, And so I think I want to review just a little bit, but uh, the point of these two verses is a sort of summary of the life of a Christian. That is, someone who has come to put his faith or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their standing before the eternal God. Someone who has been justified by faith because of the work of the cross of Christ and because of the life of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension and intercession and promised return of Christ. That good news calls for a particular response and Paul describes it in these two verses as a sort of title for the rest of the book of Romans where he's going to spell out a good deal of detail but this is the summary that by the mercies of God because we know God's mercy we would respond how to present our bodies a sacrifice so I have a summary printed in the bulletin there at the top of this section where you can take some notes if you like therefore by the mercies of God in light of God's glorious sovereign grace in the assurance of the goodness of God in Christ. I urge you, brothers, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing. If you think about God's good grace, then you really should trust yourself entirely to God. Place yourselves together. We come together in worship on Sunday in every aspect of life into his hands. This, he says, is our spiritual service or our reasonable service or our logical service, all based on one word. We looked at that last time. Our spiritual service of worship. This is true, true worship. To trust myself entirely to him in Christ by the Spirit. The only way to really reflect a true understanding of God's goodness toward us in Christ is to come together to present ourselves to Him, to trust ourselves entirely to the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. That is worship. Of course, he doesn't stop there, though. He goes on. And he says, And do not be conformed 
to this world. But, so rather than being conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then next time we're going to talk about the result of that, which is that so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So today we want to look at these two expressions, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Do not be conformed. Now, I'm sorry, but I have to, ex I have to talk about a little grammar now. <laughs> and I know how enthusiastic everyone is about grammar. I know when you had your grammar lessons in school, that's when you really sat up on the edge of your seat to hear what the teacher would have to say, because we're going to talk about grammar. Oh, good. But the grammar here is this. This is a present passive imperative in the negative. In other words, it's a no on a, par a present passive imperative. What? Well, here's what that means. It's, it's in the present tense, which in the Greek language is the, is the tense that goes like this on a verb. Like, it go. It's, it's, a th it's the view of, a, of some activity ongoing, in process, as opposed to the aorist tense, which looks at an action as a complete and finished thing. So, for example, the present your bodies is an aorist tense verb, and it means commit the act of presenting yourself to God. But this is a, and don't be conformed. It's a present tense. In other words, this is something you will need to always keep an eye on. And it, but it's, it's a strange thing because it's a passive imperative. That means an imperative is a command. So normally when a verb in the Greek language is given as an imperative, it's do this. Do this. Think of almost any commandment of scripture and that's what it is an imperative commandment. So this is a commandment, but it's in the passive voice, which means the, the, the subject of the verb is not the one doing the action. <sighs> Grammar. This is not something you do. It is something done to you, or on you, or around you, or in you, or for you. It's like this. Here's an active verb. I threw the ball. Jeff caught it. Those are active verbs. Now let's imagine this from the point of view of the ball. The ball was thrown and the ball was caught. 
Those are passive verbs. The ball didn't throw itself. The ball was thrown. And here, you do not not conform yourself. The not conforming... uh, it's, It's something that happens to you. And here is really the sense of all this. It's don't allow this to happen to you. Don't allow yourself to be conformed. Be conformed? No. That's the sense of this verb. Be conformed? No. Do not accept this scheme of things. The word conformed literally has the word scheme right in the middle of it. The structure. Don't allow this structure to be imposed upon you. What structure? This world. The structure of this world. The scheme of this world. Now again, this world is a very interesting expression. The word world here could be translated age. This age. These times. This is different from the word that's often translated world in the New Testament, which is the word cosmos, which means the system. So this isn't really talking about the system. It's talking about the age. Like we say, in these days, or in this day and age. That's the nature of this word. So that's what we're not supposed to be conformed to, what we're supposed to resist the pressure of. Do not allow yourself to be conformed to this age, to these times. We might think uh, this day and age, the ways of human culture in our in this phase of history. If we contrast this with the second part, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I think what we're talking about is the worldview of our age. And its uh, corresponding values. And we are told to resist because Our age is trying to impose its point of view on us. Well, of course it is. It's imposed it on everyone. And when someone comes to Christ, a new point of view has come on the scene, but the old point of view is still trying to impose itself on everyone all the time. So I have this question I want us to consider. What are some of the dehumanizing ways of this world, of our time? 
Why did I say dehumanizing? Because I believe, as we've discussed, I believe that to be in Christ is to resurrect your full humanity. That human beings apart from Christ are broken down and not as human as they could be in Christ. Not as human as Adam was before the fall. Adam's made in the likeness of God to bear the image of God, and that is broken in sin. And we have dehumanizing tendencies, and all of those tendencies operate in independence from God. That's the very nature. So when we operate in independence from God, we are dehumanized. And in Christ, our real humanity can be restored and one day in the resurrection will be completely, fully restored in Christ. In the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is restored even now so that Ephesians can say, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, because of the love with which he loved us, because of his great love, has raised us together with Christ. So now in Christ I'm not dead already, and I'll be even more not dead in the future. But this is the way that, what are the dehumanizing ways of this world? I think the thing that is at the core of all the dehumanizing ways of our present age, at the core of every, every one of the various and multiplying ways in which uh, this world is dehumanized, is this personal autonomy. Self-rule. This is the very nature of what Adam and Eve did. They went on their own. Separated, independent from God. Now, I've never met a human being that didn't think personal independence was a good thing. And there is a certain sense in which an individual is a dignified person in and of themselves with a sacred value before the living God. We are made individual persons reflecting the image of God, but we are not made to operate in independence from God. We're made to operate in relation active fellowshipping relation to God and in doing so to be properly related to everything else, including each other. This is the work of Christ. Now what the world says today as loudly as I've ever heard it is, you belong to you. And the most important thing you can do is find out who you are and be that as fully as possible.
to be true to who? Yourself. Jesus said, Jesus said, to be true to yourself is to die. To lose yourself for my sake is to live. To be properly related to God is to be made alive again. Now that's really, I mean, one way of thinking of that is it's only just telling you how to really be true to yourself. That yourself isn't made to be self alone, isn't made to be self-isolated from God and other people, isn't made to be alienated, but to be reconciled. And so uh, you come to God in Christ and you're restored to fellowship with God and in that fellowship you find the spiritual resource to be in right relation to everyone else. But this personal autonomy, this idolatry of self is, well, I don't have to tell you, you can see it on every page of every newspaper in the world today. To the extent that if I determine it to be so, I am not a man, but I am a woman. And that is not determined by anyone except me. And we identify ourselves. I identify as this or that or any old thing. But if I'm in Christ, my identity is in Christ. And I am who God is making me to be. And that is not determined entirely by me. I'm only using this as an illustration of the basic problem of the idolatry of self, which I think is at the heart of this problem of conforming to the world, well, to the age in which we live. So I don't want to get too distracted by the particulars, but it's when I no longer belong to myself but I present myself to him that I find out who I really am made to be. And so Paul says, safeguard that. Don't let the world put you in its scheme. Well, that might be painful from time to time to resist the world putting you into its scheme. But that's the advice here. And of course, it would be beyond foolish to continue to claim myself as my own when I could belong to him. We got to keep going here, so we want to think about be transformed. This also is a present passive imperative. 
It doesn't say transform yourself. It says be transformed. It says be transformed. By who, then? Well, I've given you several references, and we don't have time to just go read all these. Some of them are a little long. Like one of them is entire, the entire chapter of Romans 8. You might remember something about what Romans 8 says. What is Romans 8 about? It is about the operation of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone who comes to Christ. That's what it's about. The whole thing is about that. The answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you? In you? you would find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 as well, where the God of this age, meaning the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they can't see the truth of the gospel. And how, how do we get alleviated of that condition? The Spirit of God works in us to see Christ in a way we could not see him before the Spirit of God operated in our hearts. This is always the work of the Holy Spirit that we would see Christ and really see Christ and to see him as he is because this is the thing that transforms us. So if we ask the question, by whom do we, are we transformed? Because we don't do it. It's be transformed, not transform yourself. So I would suggest this to you. If you're working real hard to transform yourself, stop for a second and pray and look to the Spirit. <laughs> and what will he do? That's an important question. What will he do? He will enable you to truly see Christ. That's what he does. That's in from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. That's in Romans 8, especially verse 29, where we are told that God has predestined us to be conformed, different word, by the way, conformed to the image of his Son. Let's stop and ask this question. What is the goal of God in the life of the Christian that you would bear the image of Jesus Christ into this world? That's the answer. That because of your restored fellowship with the living God in the presence of the very Spirit of Christ, you become a reflection of Christ into this world. In, within the body of Christ, we together become the body of Christ. That's the thing that bears someone's image. And so we come to be the presentation of Christ in the world by this process being transformed by the Spirit. And if we ask the question, how? The answer is, we, the Spirit, clarifies our vision of Christ. 1 John chapter 3, 
I want to read this to you. If you've been here for a while, you know I read this verse all the time. I've got to find it first. 1 John chapter 3, see, verse 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, that we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. This is why the world, living in this day and age, there will be pressure upon us to simply see things the way the world sees things. They don't recognize Christ, so they don't recognize Christians. Christians who reflect the character and the nature of Christ are irritating in the world. So he says, Beloved, Now, already, we're children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know, this is the part I want to get to, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. So when Christ comes and we actually lay our physical eyes on the person of Jesus, the man risen, glorified Jesus Christ, We will be like him when we see him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. Here's the thing we might learn from this verse, that to have a true vision of Christ is to be moved to imitate Christ. You can't help it. He's so glorious. When you see him, you'll go, oh, that's what I want to be. You know that operates even now. It's going to operate fully at that time, but it operates even now. It says it right here in the next verse. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself now just as he is pure. So what is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian? It is to give you clarity of vision of Christ so that you will know Christ, so you will see Christ. And you, when you see him, the Spirit's in you, you see him, you imitate him. That's how this operates. Now we come to this next expression, the renewing of your mind. That true vision of Christ is the operation of the renewing of your mind. Oh, here's something we haven't mentioned just yet, but it might be, might be really useful in this whole process, and that is engaging with the Scriptures, <laughs> the Word of God where the Word of God, Jesus, is revealed. The Scriptures are, in our day, the present revelation of the Lord Jesus, and the Spirit operates 
alongside the Word of God, the Spirit operates in us to understand the true vision of Christ that is presented to us in the Scriptures. This changes who we are. We are transformed in the renewing of our mind. Now, this expression, the structure, is not just a a description of how you're transformed. In other words, it says, the way it's translated, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the structure isn't quite as clear as that English translation in the original language. It's something like this, be transformed to the renewing of your mind. There's no actual preposition of means. In other words, this is not just a description of how you're transformed. It's also a description of what you're transformed into. You're transformed into a person of a new mind. You have a whole nother way of thinking about everything. A Christ-focused way. In other words, I I think of it like this. Uh, You not only have a clearer vision of Christ, you begin to see everything through the lens of Christ. Paul says it like this in, uh, I think it's in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. He's talking about how he sees people, but according to the love of Christ. In other words, he says, the love of Christ compels us. My thinking about you is changed by my clear vision of Christ so that now I start to see you the way he sees you. That's a new mind. That's a whole other way of thinking about everything. Do I think about everything as Christ thinks? Well, that's certainly the objective. That's what, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, is talking about. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth. If we give heed to the word of Christ, which means both what he says and who he is, we, if we give attention to Christ, our thinking becomes true. You know, as regular human beings in the flesh, our thinking is not true. It's skewed at best. It's in our thinking according to Christ that we become true in our thinking. It's a whole new way of seeing everything and everyone. It's true. It's personal. It's not just about knowing the right doctrine or uh, behaving according to righteous behavior. It's knowing someone and then knowing other people from that. 
and even understanding the doctrines of the Scripture in relation to God in Christ. Uh, The knowledge of Christ is comprehensive. It's the lens, Christ becomes the lens through which I see anything or anyone. The lens through which I evaluate anything or anyone. By the way, this is something we do together in the body of Christ. We do it together. We work on the project of seeing Christ together. I had a friend of mine, another preacher one time, describe what he was doing when preaching. I would say I'm like a tour guide. Maybe we're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. What's the tour guide do? Helps you see it. Well, you're standing right there. You can see it. But the tour guide's going to point to stuff you didn't see. And he's going to enrich the experience of seeing it. This is kind of what preachers do, only in relation to God in Christ. You're standing right where you are. You can see Christ. You know Christ. You believe in Christ. The Spirit has operated in you as well as in me. All I did was look into the book maybe a little more carefully than you had time for this week. Maybe not. I don't know. But I I found some stuff. And I say, wow, get a load of this. Do you see that? This is the most amazing thing ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've discovered a new angle that I hadn't seen before. Look at this. It's a whole thing we do together. And you might come to me and say, you know what I discovered in Scripture this week? Or what I just thought of by the influence of the Spirit? Something about Christ I hadn't thought of before. We do this together in the body of Christ, and we are reflecting the image of God in Christ together as a body of Christ. It's not entirely up to each of you to represent Christ in the world. It's up to us. So, why is all this called Apocalypse Now? Did you notice my title? I'm sort of, I've sort of been hoping it's bugged you through this whole time. What is Apocalypse Now? What is that about? There's lots of uh, stories and movies in the world that are called post-apocalyptic. Have you noticed that? Or there's some kind of story that takes place after something that's called the apocaly- an apocalypse. And the apocalypse is always, in those stories, something horrible. Right? So, uh, yeah, the walking dead. There's you know, Some unknown thing happens and kills people, but they don't die. And they walk around and bite other people and kill them. It's post-apocalyptic. Some horrible thing has happened. And that horrible thing is the apocalypse. Even the movie that has this title, Apocalypse Now, is about the horror of war. 
Do you know that there's a book in the Bible called the Apocalypse? You know that, yeah? In English, we call it Revelation. The title of the book in the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you know that in Greek, that word revelation is the word apocalypse? And that word says, the, the word that is the book of Revelation is the apocalypse of Jesus, the uncovering of the person of Jesus in the return of Christ to this world. The revelation of the person of Jesus is the apocalypse. And this is why everyone thinks it's horrible. Have you read the book of Revelation? I mean, there's unbelievably horrible things that happen in the revelation of Jesus. Because that particular revelation of Jesus is a revelation of judgment on the world. So everyone dies. Okay, so that's why apocalypse we think of as horrible, but the basic meaning of the word is the revelation of Jesus. That is not horrible if you are in Christ. Here's the thing about the age of this age. You will be described by any number of people, if you're any kind of serious Christian, as out of touch. Because you believe in this ancient nonsense. But you are not out of touch because you believe something... Well, you're not out of touch because you're living in the past. You're out of touch because you're living in the future. The future is Christ. The future is Christ. The resurrection of Christ lived out in us. The gathering of the kingdom of Christ. The establishment of the kingdom of Christ on this world. The eternal kingdom of Christ forevermore. The future is in Christ. Here's what Apocalypse Now is about in my title. You don't have to wait. If you refuse to be conformed to this age and are instead transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the true vision of Christ, you become a revelation of Christ, an apocalypse now. We have the love of Christ. We share the love of Christ now, when you take that out into the world, some people will interpret it as judgment. That's not on you. You present the love of Christ as the love of Christ. And Christ, we are the ones who, because we have presented ourselves to the living God in Christ, become reflections of the living God in Christ. That's our calling in this world. And next time, we're going to talk about the conclusion of this verse, the result that you'll be able to see, test, prove the will of God. You'll 
have an insight into what God wants. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us in Christ. Father, I pray that you would uh, take a hold of us, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would become resistant to the thinking of this age, that we would have a clear and steady vision of Jesus Christ. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.